At Our Father's House, our prayer is that you will be blessed and strengthened by the power of Jesus Christ. We would like to thank you for joining us today as we study God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Justin. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings chapter 13. I want to start reading verse 1 through 6. I want to drop down to verse 23 through 26. 1 Kings chapter number 13, beginning at verse 1. When you find that, if you're physically able to and willing, would you stand tonight in honor of the reading of the Word of God? 1 Kings chapter 13, I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. Then we're going to drop down to verse 23 through 26. Amen. How many excited for the Word? Yeah. <laughs> I have a word. I have a word. It's going, I'm excited to deliver this. 1 Kings 13, verse 1. If you've got to say amen. It's what the word says. It says, And behold, there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel. Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. Notice that Jeroboam is not a priest. He's a king. And he cried not against Jeroboam, but he cried against the altar in the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, Behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David, Josiah by name. And upon you shall be offered the priests of the high places that burn incense upon you, and men's bones shall be burned upon you. And he gave a sign that same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent, and the ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. And it came to pass when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God, which had cried against the altar in Bethel, that he put forth his hand from the altar, saying, Lay hold on him. And his hand, which when he put forth against him, dried up, so that he could not pull it again to him. The altar also was rent, and the ashes poured out from the altar, according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king answered and said to the man of God, Entreat now the face of the Lord your God, and pray for me, that my hand may be restored me again. And the man of God besought the Lord, and the king's hand was restored him again, and became as it was before. Now I drop down to verse number 23. And it came to pass after he had... Now this he is speaking of this same, this very same man of God that prophesied. He had eaten bread after he had drunk, saddled his donkey to wit for the prophet whom he had brought back. When he was gone, a lion met him by the way and slew him. And his carcass was cast in the way, and the donkey stood by it, and the lion also stood by the carcass. And behold, men passed by and saw the carcass cast in the way, and the lion standing by the carcass. And they came and told it in the city where an old prophet dwelt. And when the prophet that brought him back from the way heard thereof, he said, It is the man of God who was disobedient. We'll explain that in just a moment. Disobedient unto the word of the Lord. Therefore the Lord has delivered him into the line which had torn him and slain him according to the word of the Lord which he spake unto him. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your presence in this room. Abba, Father, we thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, we thank you for filling this atmosphere tonight. God, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross. God, I pray that there will be a perfect flow in this message. 
Let it bear your anointing and your conviction, God. Father, I pray, let me not speak on the tasseling words of man's wisdom, but God, in demonstration of your love, power, spirit, and anointing, God, I align my faith with my pastor, and I come into agreement with him that chains are breaking tonight, and people are set free in this house. God, that this is a night of repentance, that this is a night of deliverance, that this is a night where broken altars are repaired. God, I thank you for what you're going to do in this house, Lord, that your people be attentive to the word. God, have your way in this room. Let us not be hearers only, but Father, I pray, let us be doers of your word. Consume us with your holy fire. Let it rain down upon us, God. Come and have your way, Lord. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' mighty name of the church says, Amen. Amen. May be seated in the presence of the Lord. Tonight, I want to talk about this subject a faceless and nameless generation. A faceless and nameless generation. The Bible says, Behold, there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel, and Jeroboam stood by the altar of incense. Now something you've got to notice here was that at this time, Israel was divided. You had the, you had the kingdom of Judah and you had the kingdom of Israel. Jeroboam was over the ten, tri the ten tribes of Israel, and uh, Judah was made up of Judah and Benjamin. But Jeroboam was a wicked king. He was burning incense upon an altar to false gods and, fall and idols, uh, worshiping Baal and all this idolatry and things. But there was a man of God. We don't really know his name. We never get a face. You see, when you hear the names like Elijah, John the Baptist, Elisha, and these different people, Samuel, your mind goes to stories in the Old Testament about them. But this guy didn't have a name. And this is what I want to tell you. I believe we are a generation, a faceless and nameless generation. That it's not about us. It's not about who we are. It's not about our gifts. It's not about our talents. It's not about our abilities. It's not about how many books we've written, although books are great. It's not about how many songs we write, although songs are great. But it's about giving God glory that He deserves. And what God is looking for is a faceless and nameless generation who will come together as a community of believers and seek God for revival. That's what God is longing for. And see, the Bible teaches us that this man of God rose up and we don't know his name, but he, he began to speak and he went to Jeroboam and he went to the altar and he began to prophesy and he began to declare a word to that altar, to that place of sacrifice. Now, if you study the Old Testament, you'll find out that they, that they would take a burnt offering because Leviticus 6 and 13, the Bible says the fire is to always be burning on the altar and it shall never go out. And, they, and the priest would always offer burnt sacrifices. And when nothing but ashes was left, Leviticus 6 teaches us that they would change their garment and they would carry these ashes outside of the temple, outside of the tabernacle, and carry it to a clean place to put it there. And see, what I believe God is saying is this. God is saying we come into church and we worship God and we pray and we seek God. But when we leave this place, <laughs> after offering sacrifices to God, we change our garments. See, that was the old covenant. We're under a new covenant now. He said he's gave me a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And see, a lot of times where we come in here and we dance and we shout and we sing and we worship. But as soon as we leave the church building and we go out here, we change our garments. And we begin to carry ashes so timidly and full of shame. Listen, your ashes is the proof that you've been a living sacrifice. And it's a testimony that people need to hear. You don't change your attitude and your character based upon the crowd that you surround. You're not a chameleon Christian where you blend with whatever surrounding. With your 
people that are drinking and smoking dope and doing these things. You talk and you act and, you, and you're just like them. But when you're in church, you, you know how to sing and you know how to clap on beat and you know all these different things. But God is saying, don't change your garment. Keep that praise and everywhere that you go because there's got to be, and I'll talk about this at the end of the message, but there's got to be an intimacy, a conglomerate, if you will, a prayer and missions where we don't change who we are when we leave the church building, but we're the same everywhere that we go. Prayer and missions is not divided from each other. They work together. Amen. They work together. They work together. Hallelujah. So the Bible teaches us this man prophesied to the altar. He said, this same altar that offered, because, because what King Jeroboam did was he, he, he built, he erected two temples, one in Dan and one in Bethel, to some golden calves. Why? Go back into the book of Exodus, when Aaron had a golden calf made, and he pulled it out of the fire, and they worshipped this false god, while Moses was on top of Mount Sinai, seeking the face of God in his glorious presence. I don't want just Moses to be on Mount Sinai, I want everybody there. But we got to get to a place where we get rid of this counterfeit worship I know it's easy and I know we can make it ourselves and I know we can customize it to our lifestyle but we got to get to a place where we are a living sacrifice holy and acceptable under God where we're not going after a counterfeit idol a counterfeit sacrifice a counterfeit presence no I need to get to the place where God this I'm part of that generation it's going to seek your face that hungers after the glory of God. That hungers after the presence of God. And it's evidence to our lifestyle. He began to prophesy. He said, oh, altar, altar. This altar will begin to bear the priests that are offering. The priests are going to lay on this altar. The priests are going to die on this altar. He said, there's coming a man by the name of Josiah. How many know who Josiah is in Scripture? Josiah became king at eight years old. Now, I want you to think about this for just a minute. What would you do if your eight-year-old son or grandson was king, president of the United States? I can tell you, I would gladly take your eight-year-old at this point. <laughs> gladly. But this man became king at eight years old, and he ruled, I believe, for 31 years and he became king at eight years old. But see, this man began, I believe it was a hundred and some years after it was prophesied that he would even come on the scene, he would come. It was, I believe it was a hundred and twenty some years before he ever showed up. I believe we need to be a generation that says, I'm going to come into prophetic alignment with God's word. See, when Peter stepped and the disciples stepped on the day of Pentecost, they recognized this is what Joel talked about. <laughs> we got to understand that we're in prophetic times because we are in the last days. Jesus could come back at any moment. But I know the hell is breaking loose in America and around the world. But we can still be in a place where we're so overwhelmed by the glory of God that we don't have to say, no, the Josiah generation is later on. No, we are a Josiah generation, young people, and are made kings and priests of God. They walk in the authority of his word. They know who we are in God. Listen, we don't have to wait 20 years. We don't have to wait till we get out of high school to serve God. No, no, no. The time is now. Now is the season. Now is the time. Behold, God is doing a new thing. And now it springs forth. William Seymour prophesied 
Azusa Street Revival heard Lou Engle talk about this. He said, Azusa, said William Seymour prophesied that in a hundred years, he said, he said a revival that is far eclipsing the revival of Azusa Street will come to pass. Guess what? We're 115 years. That means that prophecy is overdue. That means we need to get in prophetic alignment with what God wants to do right now. See, your disobedience or your obedience can miss the timing of God. That's why throughout the Old Testament, especially the Torah, you'll find five different times where God said the iniquity of this house will be visited even unto the third and the fourth generation. Why do I want to operate under a generational curse when I can operate under a generational blessing? Why do I have to go and say, well, we'll just keep going through this routine? See, Josiah had a choice because his father's name was Amon. Amon became king and he only reigned two years. He was an evil and wicked king and his own, and the people in his own kingdom killed that man and his son Josiah became king at eight years old. But if you read the scripture, the Bible says Josiah didn't do what Amon did. He did what David did and he called David his father because you can be bound to a natural father, you can be bound to a spiritual father. Oh, hallelujah. Because, it, because your father uh, dr was a drunkard doesn't mean you have to be a drunkard. Because your father and your parents had a divorce doesn't mean you have to have a divorce. And a lot of times you look through generations and you look for, through families, you'll see those things all in one family. You'll see the brother addicted to drugs. You'll see the aunt addicted to drugs. You'll see the cousin addicted to drugs. You'll see so-and-so a drug dealer. And it's all in the same home because the enemy is after controlling the home. That's why when Jesus casted out legion, legion said, suffer us not to leave the region because the enemy wants to control regions. But I'm so thankful that Jesus went to the cross and he said, I spoiled every principality and every power. Therefore, that means that the devil doesn't have to control my home because the blood of Jesus is applied to my home. That I don't have to be under a curse. It doesn't matter what my grandparents did. It doesn't matter what my parents did. Listen, I can have a heart for God and I can start a new generational thing. I can go from cursing to blessing. What about my children? What about my grandchildren? Walking in the blessing and prosperity in the favor of God. It's all about a mindset. I heard a story that went just like this. As two brothers. One brother said, said he was an alcoholic. Why are you an alcoholic? Because my father was an alcoholic. Ask the other brother, why don't you ever drink? You're never in drugs. You never do anything. Why don't you do it? He said, because my father was an alcoholic. It's all about perspective. Say, well, this is what I was raised in. This is all I know. Therefore, I'm a product of it. Or you could say, listen, I've been adopted into the kingdom of God. And God is my father. And I belong to him. I live for him. I serve him. You can break this thing and say, I am a Josiah generation. Because it was an eight-year-old king that would go down the road and say, let's repair the temple. It was an eight-year-old king that would go down the road and they would tell him the word of God. And he'd say, wait just a minute. We got to get this Molech worship out. We got to get this Baalistic worship out. There's only one God and his name is Yahweh. And we're going to live for him and we're going to serve him. It's all all about perspective. He could have walked like Haman did, but he said, I'm going to walk like David did because David is my father. Who is your father? Who? What are you a product of? 
I choose to serve the Lord. I choose to live in his blessing. I'm not cursed. I am blessed. You are not cursed. You are blessed. I said you are not cursed, but you are blessed. Through Jesus. Through Jesus. Uh, Hallelujah. Glory to God. What I'm saying is if we are a generation that will get back to what we're supposed to be doing, then we can be in prophetic alignment and fulfillment of what God said hundreds of years ago. If we will be obedient. Because it's just like this. When a lot of times when God, even you read it throughout the Old Testament, God would pronounce a curse on Israel because of their sin. And they would say, Lord, we repent, forgive us. He said, well, okay, it won't be upon you, Solomon, but it'll be upon your children. I'll take the kingdom from them. Give them to your servant, right? Because of disobedience. A whole generation of the children of Israel had to be wiped out so a new generation of faith could rise and enter into the promise. Your perspective will determine your obedience and your disobedience. And your obedience and your disobedience will determine whether you're blessed or cursed. Whether you walk in prophetic alignment with what God wants to do in your life or you will turn your back and say, well, I'm going to do my thing my way. Listen, I want the greatest move of God I've ever seen in this generation. I believe we are marked. I believe Eastern Kentucky is marked for an end time move of God. You, you, you've been seeing it on the news. You've been seeing it on Facebook. West Virginia's making crazy headlines right now about what God's doing in Bluefield, West Virginia. Virginia and coal country because the Appalachian Mountains are marked for revival. And if we don't have it, it's because we're missing something and we need to take inventory of ourselves and say, are we a desired generation that's smashing our idols of pornography, our idols of drug addiction, our idols of alcoholism, our idols of gossip and pride and laziness and selfishness? Are we laying that thing down and going after Jesus? It's time to go after Jesus. I said it's time to go after Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's get back to this prophet. He prayed, he, he declared to the altar. He, he said this. He said, here's a sign. And here's the thing. This old prophet had a signs, wonders, and miracles all in the same text. Can I ask you a question? Where are our signs? Where are our wonders? And where are our miracles at? Quiet. Quiet now. I'm speaking to us as a body. Where are the signs at? Where are the wonders at? The Bible says in Acts chapter 2 verses 21 through 24 that the word of Jesus was confirmed through signs, wonders, and miracles. Amen. Listen, this is where God has brought me to and this is what God has taught me and shown me. He said a lot of people are mesmerized by signs, wonders, and miracles. They want the gifts of the Spirit in operation. They want these different things. But in order to get to that place, they've got to first seek His presence. See, if all you're going to do is chase signs, wonders, and miracles, say, oh, that dude's a prophet. He's reading people's mail. I'm going after him. What you do is you form idols in your life, number one. Number two, you're no different than Stephen in Acts chapter 9. Or not Stephen, Simon. Simon in Acts chapter 9. Because this is what happened with Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 9. He saw the signs. He saw the powers. He saw the wonders. And the miracles of Philip and Peter and these guys. And he said, I want exactly what they have. And that's why he believed upon Jesus. He didn't really believe upon Jesus because he wanted to be saved from something. He wanted a greater power than what he already had. Because he saw it as an idol in his life. And if you study the history of Simon the sorcerer, you'll find out that after he 
was rebuked from by Peter, he turned and formed his own religion of, of a Gnostic faith where people lifted him up as a God and, and paralleled him as Jesus and worshipped him as a false God. That's what church history teaches. Because why? Because he wasn't after the person of the Holy Spirit. He was after the signs, wonders, and miracles. But if we will pursue the wondrous person of the Holy Spirit, then we will get the signs, wonders, and miracles. And the Bible says in Matthew, no, actually, I believe it was Mark chapter 16, verse 15. The Bible says that these signs shall follow them that believe. It didn't say it'll just follow this one prophet, random prophet. It didn't say just follow this one random preacher. It said, no, these signs shall follow them that what? Believe. Listen, if we are believers, if we're sold out to Jesus and we're sick in his presence, something needs to be following us that points to him. Think of a sign down the road. Say if you're driving home to Cincinnati, Josh, tonight, and you see a sign that says 60 miles to Cincinnati, you know good and well that sign is, that sign is not Cincinnati itself. But that sign points to the city called Cincinnati. Why is that? It's because when, we, when signs, wonders, and miracles truly follow us, they don't point to you, they don't point to me, they don't point to these guys. No, it points to him. I said it points to Him. You can have all the gifts of the Holy Spirit and things in your life, but you got to uphold it by character and a true relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Is that okay? We need the signs, wonders, and miracles back. But until we die to ourselves at an altar and surrender ourselves to God and authentically, truly pursue the presence of the Holy Spirit, we will see revival. Revival is not living in someone else's sacrifice. Revival is in, in reaping the benefits of someone else's sacrifice. Revival is when we go out after God ourselves. That I don't have to go with you to your schools. That pastor doesn't have to go with you in your workplace. But you go and God goes with you. How many knows we need God to go with us? See, we think that when revival is going to come to the school, all of a sudden God's presence is going to come just randomly out of the blue and put everybody on their face in the hallways. No, God chooses to find vessels that says, I want to be part of a Josiah generation. That says, God, if no one else is willing, use me. And you start prayer movements and you start Bible studies and you start talking to people that are being bullied and you start encouraging others and you start reaching out. Why? Because prayer is... And missions work hand in hand. We pray to God, but we have no works that shows our faith. Man, y'all quiet now. I need to, hallelujah, we need to, Lord, help us not to just try to preach people happy. We got to get back to the place where we say, God, I believe in you and I'm seeking your presence. And I'm going to show you I believe in you because I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus. I want to show you, God, that I believe in you because I want to pray at midnight when my peers are asleep doing these different things. No, I'm going to seek your face. We got to get back. And listen, it may, and you praying on your own, you visiting nursing homes, you helping the food pantry. Listen, you may not get publicly promoted and recognized in the house of God, but you're not seeking for man's honor. You're seeking for God's honor. Amen. Hallelujah. The Bible teaches us that he, he said this is the sign that's going to happen. He said this altar is going to be rent in two. And he said the ashes are going to be poured out upon it. It signified that God wasn't accepting what they were doing. See, a lot of times we confuse God's patience with tolerance. 
We say God's just tolerating America. No, he's not. He's given us time to repent. Uh, hallelujah. He's given us patience to repent. But this was the first sign. He said that altar is going to be rent, that you're sacrificing those false gods. It's going to be torn, and the ashes are going to be poured out. And that's going to be a sign unto you that this kingdom is going to go to a man named Josiah. Jeroboam got mad, and this is what happened. He, he, he stomped upon that altar. That altar was broken in two, and he said, Seize him. Lay your hands upon him to his soldiers and to his people. And as soon as he pointed his hand out, his hand and his finger froze. He couldn't even pull it back. He couldn't even move it. It just stood there. Now, if I was this prophet, I'd have probably said, What you going to do, man? You know God's with me. What you going to do now? You know, I'd have just, hey, listen, I'd have done the dumb and dumber thing and just pointed at him and said, <laughs> you were one pathetic loser. That's probably what I'd have done, right? Not this prophet. Not this prophet. No, no, no. This prophet, this prophet was just like, you know, he just kind of stood there. They didn't seize him, didn't do anything. He just stood there. And that guy, and that king was like, pray for my hand that it would heal. And he said, all right, I'll pray for you. Signs, wonders, miracles. And guess what? This wasn't even after the Holy Ghost descended and filled the upper room. No, this was Old Testament. Hallelujah, this is Old Testament. And the Bible says that his hand was completely healed. But this is where things get really, really interesting. And this is what I want you to catch. If you get anything out of this message, and I didn't read this at the beginning of this message, but this is what I want you to get. The Bible says that that king looked at him and said, come home with me. King Jeroboam said, now if a king asked you to come with them, you're probably not going to dishonor the king's word. And he said, come home and just eat with me, drink with me, just fellowship with me for a little bit. And the, this man of God that we still don't know his name said, I can't do it because God told me as soon as I was done here and gave this prophetic word, I was to go back to Judah where I came from. Go back home. So he went on his way back home. But the Bible teaches us the word of what happened with the king got into, some, into the ears of an old prophet. And this old prophet said, let me ride upon my donkey. He told his sons, told his children, give me upon my donkey. Let's go after him. And he went after him because this old prophet wanted to meet this young prophet full of the fire of God. This nameless, faceless prophet. And so the Bible says they would go on their way. And this young man of God, this young prophet stopped in his way. He was resting under a tree, an oak tree in the shadow, resting. He was settling. Can I tell you that from where he was, where King Jeroboam was to where his homeland was, was just a couple miles he had no business settling. But what happens is this, when we go through things in life, a lot of times we settle and through human reasoning we try to figure things out. And that young prophet was in that place. And when the old prophet caught up with him, he told him, he said, he said are you the man of Judah? Are you, are you that man? He said, I am. He said, I want you to come with me. He said, I want you to come with me. And of course this young prophet said no. He told him the same words he told Jeroboam. He said, no, 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 no. I've got to go home. Because God told me not to turn back. He told me not to eat with anybody. He told me not to go in anyone's house and drink with anybody. He said, he said the Lord told me to go home. He, and the old prophet said, well, I'm here to tell you that an angel came to me and told me that you're to come with me. <laughs> and what happened was he was disobedient to the word God gave him because someone else said, hey, I'm an older prophet. I've been there and done that and I'm more sensitive to the voice of God than you are. 
See, when the word, God gives you a word, it's going to be confirmed somehow. It should be confirming what He's already said to you, what He's already been dealing with you, what He's already shown you. If there's not confirmation, see, you don't drop what you're doing because someone else said something over you that you've never met before. Because that's how you get in trouble. Because whatever God is saying to you, if someone else speaks over your life, then they need to confirm what God's already showing you and what you're already praying about. Because if you're not careful, you'll follow after something that's not of God, just like this young prophet did. Now I want you to think about this young man. What if he was Elijah? What would Elijah say? Would Elijah just said, okay, I believe you, old man, I'll go with you. Or would he have said, wait just a minute, God told me this, you're a lying prophet, and I'm not going to receive what you said to me, and it's untelling what would have come down on that man. It was Elijah. Run. Probably fire from heaven. But because this man was part of a nameless, faceless generation, he didn't have enough confidence in who he was in God and knowing the voice of God. Listen, young people, you need to be seeking the face of God and not be distracted with what anyone else says, does, or speaks over your life. You need to get to a place where you're so comfortable in God that you hear the voice of God speaking over your life. That you're not drifted to the left and you're not drifted to the right because of what someone's declaring over you, what someone's speaking over you should confirm what God is showing you even now. Even now. Be careful who you allow to speak over your life. Be careful who you socialize with. Be careful who you attach yourself to. Oh, Jesus. Young people, be careful, careful what you marry into. Because you may be from a generation of blessing, but what if you're marrying into a generation of cursing? It happens. Come on now. You better know who you're marrying, and you better say, you know what? Together, we want to seek the presence of God to walk in His blessing. I'll hurry up because y'all getting wore out on me. Is this okay? Okay. So this, this young prophet, he went home. With this old prophet. And all of a sudden a prophetic word did actually come to the old prophet. You know what this tells me? This tells me that you can be in sin and still have a gift working upon your life. Because this man just lied. There's no repentance in this man. Because, a lot, because this is what Matthew chapter 7 verse 23, 21 through 23 says. Jesus said, now there will be many that will say in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy? Did we not cast out devils? Did we not do all these wonderful works for you? And what's he going to say? Depart from me. I never knew you. We better know God. We've got to know him. We've got to develop a relationship with him. We've got to read the word of God. We've got to read the Bible. We've got to pray. We need to go to church. We need to worship. We need to be kind to other people. We need to love other people. We need to be a reflection of who Jesus is everywhere that we go. Whether it's on the ball team, in our neighborhood, in our classroom, in our, in our workplace, it doesn't matter because people are watching our life and we can't be dictated of who we are in God because of what someone else's word or idea is. Can I tell you that you can't live Christianity in someone else's mind? You can't do it. This is about you knowing God for yourself. About you knowing God for yourself. So this man... 
had a gift, but he was away from God. Because listen, you better have character and you better have a relationship with God. Because the Bible says the gifts and the cons of God are without repentance. Amen. Gifts and cons of God. So that gift is going to be upon you to preach. But that gift don't cancel out a lust problem. That gift to preach His Word doesn't cancel out that gossiping tongue. You've got to have a relationship and say, God, it's time to repair the broken altars. It's time to accept the divine mandate that I'm part of a desired generation. And yeah, I may have to lay some stuff down that are important to me, but God, you're chief among them all. I just want your presence. Is there anyone in this room that just wants the presence of God? Just hungry for God. Hallelujah. So he went and this old prophet began to prophesy over this young prophet. And he said, listen, he said, you're going to go home on your way home. He said, there's going to be a lion meet you. He said, the Bible says the devil is as a roaring lion. I preached this a few weeks ago over in Kentucky. The devil is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The Bible says be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, is as a roaring lion. And see, this man, this old prophet, now I want you to think about this for a minute. Samson ran a line with two hands. Think about this. There was men that did crazy things. David killed a lion. He killed lions when he was in the shepherd's field. There was some people of God that knew how to deal with lions, but this young prophet didn't know how to deal with a lion. Because you can be in a position like David, you'll be in a position like, like, uh, like Samson was, but you've got to be to a place that you know the voice of God and you're obedient to that voice. And then nothing steers you away from that. Because when you face a lion, the devil, when you face the devil who is as a lion, you better know how to fight him. And you better know how to defeat him. But you're not going to defeat any attack of the enemy when you're compromising and you're being disobedient to what God is telling you to do. Church, we got to be obedient. He said, my sheep hear my voice and a stranger they follow not. If God's speaking to you and God's being at your heart, be submissive and be obedient to that voice. Know the voice of Know the voice of God. Amen. So the Bible teaches us that he met this lion. This lion killed this young prophet. He did not kill his animal that he rode on. He didn't kill anything else. He didn't even eat up this young prophet. He just killed him. And there he laid by the wayside. This was the same prophet that just earlier that day prophesied to an altar and said, Josiah is coming. This same man was now dead by the wayside. Why? Because of disobedience. Don't live in the glory of what you've done in the past because that doesn't matter. It's about now and it's about what's out ahead. We got to leave our mark now and we got to leave our mark for the future. If you sang for other churches, if you preached other sermons, that was great in that time. But it's now time to step up and move to a new dimension, a new level. Going forward after God. You know what you do? They teach this in Africa. You know what you do when you face a line? They teach you in Africa, don't, you don't run away from a lion when you face a lion. They say you face it. You don't make any sudden movements because people in Africa do face lions. In fact, there's a tribe in Kenya that they will give them a spear at their age of 12 or 13 and they will put them outside of the camp and they will put them outside of the village and they'll wait for a lion to come because they've been trained to kill that lion. Now, for you 12 and 13-year-olds in here that think you're having a tough time because you failed a test or something, you think about those poor kids in Africa who's being kicked out of their village and say, Lion's coming! Get ready! Lion's coming. Right? But this is what 
This is what they do. They sit there and watch. And when, they, when that line finally comes, they don't run back to the village. They don't make any sudden movements because that shows fear to a lion. They stare it down and they face it. And they, and they wait for that line to take it. When that line comes, they know exactly how to get under it and to pierce right through its heart and kill it. And then 12 or 13 years old, can I tell you, it's time to pierce the heart of the enemy. Hear me, hear me, people. Hear me, church. It's time to pierce the heart of the enemy. I don't care what you are facing tonight, what kind of strongholds, what kind of addictions, what kind of temptations, what kind of bondage you've come in here tonight. There is freedom, and it's in Jesus. But it's not running away in fear. It's not walking in disobedience. It's looking at that line and saying, Devil, you can't defeat me. You can't attack me. I've done been trained through for this. I've done received too much word on this. I'm not running away. I know who I am in God. Why should I fear a devil who is as a lion when my Savior is the lion of the tribe of Judah? Why should I fear? Why should I run away? If you don't have a spear and you don't do anything, you know what they teach you in Africa? They teach you to lift your hands and make yourself as big as you can. Why? Because your praise silences the enemy. It's because your worship is about getting yourself to a place where you say, God, I'm going after your presence. It does not matter what I'm facing. It does not matter what I'm dealing with. I know who I am in God, and I will magnify him. I will exalt the Lord. I will bless him. Because I have his voice with me. Turn to, uh, if you can, put on the screen Psalm 29. I'll give you a minute to turn, uh, to put that on the screen. And then we'll give you a chance to pray in just a moment. Here's the thing. we got to be in a place. Because this is what the word says. It says the word got back into that country. I believe it was back into Bethel. And the old prophet had gotten word that this young man had died. He said, by a line. And he said, that was the same man I talked to. That dined with me. He was disobedient to the word of the Lord. He was disobedient to the word of God. And now he has died. Now he has died. And this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that old prophet went after him. He said he wouldn't be buried with other prophets. He wouldn't be buried with anybody else. He, he said, the old prophet said, I'm going to take him with me. And I'm going to bury him in my grave. And when I die, I'm going to... I'm going to be laid upon his body, upon his bones, and we're going to be buried in the same grave. Because there's some people who want to connect with your legacies and your purpose that don't have any belonging with your legacy and your purpose. Be careful who you connect with. The Bible says, "Where you say a legacy? What are you talking about legacy? I'm talking. I'm not talking. I'm, again, we're still a faceless and nameless generation, but we're part of a generation that is to seek the face of God and go after Him. But as we are a generation going after God, there's some people want to attach to your blessings, your successes, and different things that have no business being connected to you. Instead of you taking them with you to God, they're pulling you away from God. The Bible says that though Abel is dead, yet he speaks. Why? Because there's things that speak beyond the grave. Guess what? Jesus' blood speaks better words than that of Abel. As I said Sunday morning, there's things that keep on living. And listen, you may be die, you may be dead, but the marks that you leave on people go on forever. So what are you doing now for God? We better be sensitive to the voice of God. I want to read this whole chapter, Psalm chapter 29. It says this. It says, give unto the Lord. I'm going to be talking about the voice of God. Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord glory due to his name. Worship the Lord and the beauty of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. Now notice this. The glory of God preceded the voice of God. The glory of God came and the voice of God came after you worship God in his beauty. 
right? Voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Sounds like David knows his voice. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yea, the Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. The voice, he makes it also to skip like a calf Lebanon and Syrian like a young unicorn. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the hinds to calf and discovers the forests. And in his temple does everyone speak of his glory. The Lord sits upon the flood. Yea, the Lord sets king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Can I tell you something? His voice is peaceful. His voice can create things. He spoke the world into existence. He spoke, he, he said the word and the stars were flung in the sky. Can I tell you that God is not bound by time, space, or matter. matter. God is outside of those things. He is the creator of heaven and earth. And he created everything by his word. His voice was what moves the waters. His voice is what spoke to your heart and brought conviction to your spirit and said, you've got to lay that down. It's time to pray. It's His voice. It's His voice. It's His voice. Church, we need the voice of God back in our churches. God's voice will only come to bless or to curse. And I want blessings. You know what God showed me? I can go into an atmosphere and I can declare and speak things past. I can speak life to dead things, but I can't speak life to unbelief. Can't do it. Can't do it. Can't. You've got to be able to speak life to things that are willing to believe in Him. If I go to another place, another location, and they're not hungry for revival, and there's not an altar on their heart that is built, listen, it does no good to speak these things. But when I know there's revival, and when I know God wants to do something, I can speak his word with boldness and without fear because there's power in agreement. I said it, uh, I said it, I believe it was Sunday or last week. I can't remember when it was. But I said something on the lines of what Dutch Sheets said, that when we come in agreement with somebody, I may can lift 100 pounds. Brandon can maybe can lift 100 pounds. But if we work together and lift the same thing, we'll lift 300 pounds. Why? Because there's power in agreement. And agreement yields to multiplication. So when I agree and I say, God, I believe we're that Josiah generation. Lord, I believe that what William Seymour declared, the time is now. When I begin to speak, Lord, we are that generation in eastern Kentucky that people are going to write about, newspapers are going to talk about it, not to lift us up, but that the glory of God supersedes every negative report. Church, I believe we're that generation. But we need to take inventory and say, God, if there's anything tearing down my altars of sacrifice and prayer, now's the time to repair those broken altars. Now's the time to say, God, we're willing to fulfill that word. We don't want to live in disobedience, but we want to be obedient and go after you. And it doesn't matter how many lions stand in the way. Because Joe, the book of Job says this, says at his breath, lions are destroyed. At his word, at his voice, at his sound, things move. That's why he said, if you have the faith as of a grain of a mustard seed, and you speak to your mountain, be removed. Why? Because we have the authority of God in our life. 
And the enemy wants to diminish you to not let you have confidence in who you are in God. But can I tell you, God is great in your life. He is. But you got to believe it and surrender everything to Him. I want to ask the praise team if they would to come back to the stage and we'll give you a chance to pray. Land this plane. Have you enjoyed the word? Almost done. Listen, I don't. I'm going to speak one more thing here. I'll give you a chance to pray. Anybody hungry for revival? You understand that this is just a series of services this week, but they can ignite something that will change the course of this region forever if we'll get a hold of God. I believe by Sunday, I, I really believe this with all my heart, I believe Bob Goley is going to deliver something in here that's going to bring a prophetic shift to this entire ministry. I believe that with all my heart by the time this weekend rolls around. I believe it's just going to continue, David, to escalate every night, every night, every night. I believe that with all my heart. But, but, but my job tonight is to build an altar of repentance. My job tonight is to say, do you have confidence to know the voice of God and who you are in God? Have you been disobedient? Because if there's any area of your life where you've been disobedient, it's time to pray and lay it down before Jesus. Because now's the time we go after God. That way by the time David gets here Friday and Bob Goley gets here Saturday and Sunday, they're not pulling the train. We're in here ready. Amen. We're in here ready to go. In 1727, there was a man by the name of, of Count Zinzendorf. Who, who knows who Count Zin, Zinzendorf is? Raise your hand. Bet you do. Bet this man does. Anybody else knows this guy? He's like, he's got a cool name. Zinzendorf. That's fun to say. Count Zinzendorf. A young and wealthy German nobleman in 1727. Decided to commit his estate in Germany to 24-hour-a-day prayer ministry. He renamed his estate Hernhut, which means the watch of the Lord. About 300 persecuted believers moved from Bohemia to Zinzendorf's estate, formed the Hernhut community, and at that time, Z Zinzendorf gave up his court position to lead his new ministry. And for a hundred years at this same estate, believers were praying every hour of every day in rotation. And by 1776, they were sent out two by two throughout the entire known world doing missionary work and preaching the gospel. Why? Because one man, named Count Zinzendorf, one man said, you know what? I'm willing to give up my court position. Willing to give up my salary. I'm willing to give it all up. I'm going to rescue these persecuted believers and we're going to pray. And we're going to pray. And we're going to hit. I feel the Holy Spirit. And we're going to pray. And we're going to pray. Every revival that's ever hit this world, they had one con common denominator. It's prayer. And I'm not talking about praying 30 minutes. I'm talking about praying. I'm talking about rending the heavens. I'm talking about a William Seymour that prayed for five and a half hours a day for a year and a half saying, God, I want the gifts of the Spirit. And God spoke to him in that voice and said, pray more. And he prayed for seven hours a day for another two and a half years. But when the Holy Spirit came upon that man. This whole entire world's shaking. And yet this man that prayed like that said in a hundred years. There's coming a generation. I believe we are that generation. And I believe we are the fulfillment of that prophecy. But we got to get hungry and desperate. And say God our altars are no longer broken. It's time to lay some stuff.
Young people, what would you do if we called some 24-hour prayer meetings? Would you answer? Would you answer? Because they're about to come. And I mean that with all seriousness. It's about to come. There's coming a time, especially you people that signed up for this dance team. There's going to be some moments I call on you guys. I'm going to say, we want to pray all night. You're going to come because you all are Nazarites and we're going the extra mile. You want to come? You better say, yeah, I'm coming because it's time to pay a price because we can watch what God's doing in California, West Virginia, Maryland, Alabama, and we can go flock at all those places and say, man, I want to join that movement. Man, I want to see what God's doing there. I really want to know. I, want, I really want to be a part of what God's doing there. But you know what? There was, you, you'll find in West Virginia what happened. There were some students that got together and they prayed. They prayed. What if we answered the call to prayer? What if we answered the call to repentance? Yeah, we're, we're just a church service that may end here in just a few moments. I don't know. But, but what, what if we said, I'll answer it, God. I'll be part of that generation. Maybe not everyone in this room wants to be a Josiah generation. It doesn't matter how old you are. You can be 8, you can be 88. I don't care. Are you going to answer the call to prayer? I mean, yeah, it's easy to preach. Listen, I, give, I could give the mic to probably 10, 20 people in this room and you can preach the house. But does that mean anything? If you don't pray. Does it mean anything? If you go home tonight and you're still addicted to pornography, does it really matter? If you're having sex with that boy and that girl outside of marriage, does it really matter? How well you can sing on the platform? Is that what it's about now? Let's get in the spotlight. Let's get seen because it's all about what's going on up here. So I can be recognized, so someone can pat me on the back and say, You preached good tonight. And nobody's changed, but you preached good. Nobody repented, but you sung good. Look what God's doing in West Virginia. Look what God, look at it. It's awesome. But what about here? What about now? We've got a choice to make. I'm not here to pull on your emotionals, emotional heartstrings tonight. I want you to get real with God. I want you to get desperate for God. I want you to get so desperate for God it's worth more than the meal you ate today. I want you to get so desperate for God that you may be wrecked tonight and they have to carry you out and drive you home tonight because you were so hungover in His presence and it was worth it. If you would like to know more about Our Father's House and upcoming events, log on to ourfathershouseky.org.